All right, so two weeks so far, we're into this series, Making of a Man. The overall thrust of week one was to define the product that we're looking to produce. What is a man? What can we say that at the end of, let's say, parenting a son to adulthood, or, or in the case of male community, of working with and nurturing younger, we'll say younger men, older boys, younger men, what can we say that that finished product is? What do we want to see? So does anybody remember some of the components that I suggested were part of essential masculinity? Okay, responsibility is one. Fortunately, the guests that come here to church pay more attention than the, the regulars. Uh, uh, Vinny, if we get desperate, you might have to read off the list. Okay, so responsibility is one thing. Self-sufficient, Self I would categorize as responsible. That is actually not one of the ones, but that's good. But let's call, let's call that part of being responsible. Give any more. Desire to do it. There you go. Desire. To, the, what, what do we call that? It began with a C, and now I can't even remember it. Commitment. Okay. I want to be a man. All right. We, so it, you may have encountered some people who don't even like the concept of being grown up. Right. Any others? Okay. Okay. Capability. You're embarrassing everyone else in the room. Thank you, John. Huh? I said I just read the email this morning. Oh well. Okay. <laughs> and it's clearly imprinted on your mind. Okay, so in addition to the desire, the responsibility, the commitment to responsibility, the capability to be responsible, what else was there? Okay, we said there's confidence. There you go. We, I have to believe that I can do this. Then there has to be a humility. The fact that, yes, I do know many things, but I don't know everything. What else? What was another one of the components? There's only two more. Well, one of them was accountability. That every man needs to recognize that he has to answer to someone. That when you're a rogue, loose cannon, that you're really not as manly as you might think. It says a lot about what you're not living toward or not living for if you have no one or no thing that you're accountable to. And what was the final one? What was the balance between desire and contentment? That every man has some passions that he longs for, things that he wants, things that he hopes for. Everything from to be loved, to be successful, to whatever it is, that there is a balance that a man has to master between the desire for important and good things and a contentment with what he already has. Otherwise, and what's the downside of this? What if a man cannot balance out desire and contentment? All marks of what's missing on the inside, which is an inner peace. And that's what we hope to achieve. If a man is everything but has no inner peace, he's still dangerous to others in one way or another. And then last week we got into, well, how is this formed or how is this fashioned? And we said that every man has a man code. And if you remember last week, I gave you a formula for how we arrive at legacy. Does anybody remember the formula that arrives at legacy. 
Yes. Oh my word. You are you really embarrass everyone here. Yes. In a good way, John. In a good way. So he said, belief. Produces. Sure does. I think there's an R. Maybe not. Produces. Outcomes. Produces two more things. Destiny and legacy. Who I become in the end. My destiny. And then finally, my legacy. So, we've covered that repeatedly, but I introduced an additional point last week. And what was that? That defines all of this. The code that I live by, which is the source material that I receive. And so this was the additional piece that I introduced us to last week, that the sources from which you derive your belief system are ultimately going to be the ones that define your destiny and your legacy. So what I believe determines how I live. What I live determines what I leave. Let me repeat that again. What I believe determines how I live. What I, how I live determines what I leave. Alright, so today the overall theme, and it's going to be a little bit of a rough ride because there's a lot of stuff here and I'm not sure that I have it all committed to memory, so it's going to come out a little bit uh, misformed, but the overall intent is that every man needs male community to develop it. That absent male community, most men sort of wander and drift, and, and here's, here's the first principle that any man that is left to discover what it means to be a man on his own has no choice but the process of trial and error. And what I believe to be true is that no man can live long enough to make all the mistakes that he needs to make to find out what not to do and therefore by process of elimination to figure out what to do. Do we want our young men to have to bounce through life trying to figure it out as they go along? Or should they be able to find a community in which they could discover what that meant? Now, I posed this question a few times before, but think about this. Where does a young man find a community of men that can encourage him, affirm him, inform him? Well, is there an organized and intentional process even in church by which that happens? Sometimes, sometimes not. Who would we say are the most at-risk men in a community? What's their age group? 20 to 35. 20 to 35, I would say it's a little bit, he's a little on the high side. I'd even put it down to 18 through 25. Right out of high school. Where does a guy go out of high school? What's his next step? He doesn't do anything. Well, easy, easy. That probably goes to college. He might go to college. Now, what if he doesn't go to college? Hopefully, he gets a trade. Then he's going to be in 
the world where my father worked, where, where the F word was part of the normal dinner time conversation. Okay. Uh, language aside, perhaps he learned some things there, though. I did. I did. No. Oh, you did. No, 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 no. I meant he did. You said because that was the culture he. Okay. And, and okay, so you. Okay, so are are you skilled at using the F word today? No. Okay. I'm assuming you're not going to find out about this young man getting a job. What's that? I'm assuming you're talking about this young man getting a job. I'm just asking, where does he go? Because here's the natural thing that's going to occur. What's it stand for? Okay. Oh, okay. I thought it was just the initial. Okay. All right. The JCs do the Harvestful Parade and Harvestful Fair and Harvestful Fireworks. We used to do the Halloween Parade here when I was there. Yeah. When they go from the JCs, they go to the Lions Club. Right. So where this guy's going to get his information, his experience, his beliefs? You know, but do you realize how much we're struggling to find an answer to that? This is what I'm trying to get at. They go down to the drinking establishment and they sit there with their buddies and they sleep. It's going to establish it from the friends that he still hangs out with after high school. He's going to establish it uh, a little bit from his parents still, you know. But he's after high school, you know. This is a big, this is a big step forward for somebody who's growing up. So he needs to establish, you know, who am I? Where am I? What am I doing? Did everybody hear what Jason said? It was you who said that, right? It's where he's accepted. He's going to go where he's naturally accepted. Now, where's he naturally accepted? His peer group. Do you remember what we said at the, at the breakfast? That if a guy receives most of his affirmation about what it means to be a man from his peer group, what's his life going to look like? As compared with what he'll, his life will start to look like if the affirmation he receives is from more mature men. Because we affirm what we personally value. Is that not true? I applaud you for the things that I approve of. What does a young man approve of? He's better at the drinking establishment, right? He, he brings product home from the drinking establishment, and therefore he would applaud those who did likewise. Now, that's a stereotype. I realize that, but think about the brashness of a young man, and therefore he would applaud that in other young people, and other young people would seek that from him. Now, let's assume that we have a more mature fellow. We'll say someone of Paul's age. Um, you came here and you're already being abused. 
Now, what might Paul affirm in a young man that the young man wouldn't affirm in another young man? Let's just think about that. Paul, Paul has Paul is in community with a young man. He sees the young man doing things or not doing things. How's Paul's conversation with the young man going to differ than one young man's conversation with another? And therefore, what's he going to affirm? He's going to call out the things. He might call out things that are negative. He might affirm things that he thinks are positive that lead toward the qualities that we've already talked about, i.e. responsibility, helping him with confidence, building skills into him, all these other things. Now, can the young man in community merely with other young men expect to find that from the other young men? No, because the other young men don't yet have it and they can't give what they don't yet have. So I hope you're starting to really appreciate this. Every young man needs the fellowship of older men. And yet there's no logical train by which he gets the tracks go from adolescence to early maturity right into adult male community. There just isn't. As a matter of fact, we even divide up our churches that way. We have kids ministry, we have students ministry, and then we have... Well, we hopefully have young adult ministry of some sort, but even young adult ministry is, has become, how do we extend things? We realize there's a gap between student and adult, and we had to insert a new ministry into the gap, and then where do they go? If you think about the logical process by which a man is integrated into adult church life, it usually has something to do with marriage. And then children. Now, there are exceptions to that rule. I realize that. But what I would like us to realize is this. Jason said something that was so critical. He might not even have understood how critical it was. I'm going to go where I'm accepted. Are we making it possible for young men to be accepted? So, for instance, right now, as you think about it, can you identify five young men in this church community whom we should be receiving into adult male community? Could you name them? Could I name them? And if we can't, because they're going to, remember what Jason said, they're going to go where they're accepted. They don't even know us. We don't feel accepted by them, so who are they going to continue to hang with? Their peer group. Those are the people that accept them, that know them. As a matter of fact, what happens a lot of times is the early adult male will cycle back and go back to the community that he knew before. In other words, he'll go back and he'll start to hang out again with the students because those are the people that he knows. Unless we break that cycle, unless we figure out how to be intentional about welcoming young men into our... Wasn't that beautifully set up? Couldn't have done that better. You know, I applaud you for being late today, buddy. It, it was just perfect. On what? There was about 20 of them last night there. We had three nights of meetings, and there was a great group of them, and right multi-age groups here every night. Good setup. Do I, have, do I have to pay you later for that or what? All right, so that's the first big question. How do we become more intentional about this? Think about it. Who's responsible for this to happen? 
Is it up to them to set it up? I have somebody to point to now. I have an us and a them. This is really helpful for you to have showed up. <laughs> so, do we wait for them to say, I think I need this? Remember what we've already said, that a young man's confidence level may be lower than that of a more mature man. So do we wait for them to recognize the need, or do we remember what it was like for us to be them and say, I better do something about this? I think in their situation, they set it up themselves. They had a couple of key people to really kind of put it together and ran with the ball. Once it was there, uh, if I'm wrong, it really took off and it was so very functional, incredible, really young people. So let's look at the dynamic that takes place. It's on your notes here, but uh, you could probably use some notes. There's at least page one. Even in an athletic setting, peer-to-peer -peer relationships produce good competition. Competition is healthy. It produces the, the drive and the desire for better performance. But where does, the, where does the guidance and the motivation come in organized athletics? What? From coaches. So you see there's the, there is the role for peer-to-peer -peer relationship which improves the competitive drive, which helps to affirm value. I mean, there is a team spirit that takes place there, but the coach is the one that has been through the process, knows the process, understands the athletic principles, understands the strategies for the game, and starts to build into the person. So there's the, the right balance in community has to be established between peer-to-peer -peer relationship and a more mature to less mature relationship. And we, if we let that to chance, this is the thing, if we let that to chance, it's going to look like something that's been left to chance. Now, what do we know about what things that are left to chance? What are the odds that they come out well? That's so even if it, and, and here's my premise, if it were to take a generation to rebuild this in a way that it was actually done intentionally, would it be worth it? Given what we've already established about the complexity of becoming a mature adult human being, male or female, that it's harder today than it was in the past, and, I, and I'm not one of these throwbacks to, oh, the good old days. It's not what I mean at all. I think these are the best of times. I really do. But they're the best of times that are also the most complex of times that most of us have ever lived through. And therefore, if anything, we need an improved system, not just an accidental system. All right. A simple question that I love to ask I ask it of people that I meet with, but it's one that I borrowed from somebody else. And here's the question. What is one regular personal habit that has contributed or is contributing to your success? Alright, now I'm not asking that for the purpose of you answering that, although you should be thinking about that. Here's the thing. I've read a lot of biographies over the years and many autobiographies. Among successful people, there is almost always this point that they can look back to and say, this person stepped into my life. This person took me out to dinner. That person did something for me. And almost always there is the question. So tell me about your plan for life. Tell me about how you've set up your finances. Tell me about how you're, how you're moving ahead in your career. 
tell me about how you're improving your salesmanship if, you, if you're already... There is almost always, every one of these people would say, there's this guy. And he, he stepped into my life, he asked me a few questions, and then he offered to meet with me again if I wanted to, but if I didn't want to, that was okay. And almost every one of them will say that that guy made a huge difference in my life, even though he wasn't in my life for very long, simply because he caused me to think about the things that I would not have thought about otherwise. Remember one of those kinds of people that we talked about in the Proverbs last week? The simple, what is the simple person? The simple person is the person who doesn't know that he doesn't know and doesn't know what he doesn't know and therefore he has no idea what to ask. Now when we think of the simple person, we think of it as a negative, but we're all simple people. Our job as more mature men Ready for this? This is profound. Our job is to be less simple than younger men. That's it. Are you less simple today than you were 30 years ago? Eh, just look away if you're not sure. Just <laughs> And so our job is not to necessarily tell a younger person what to do. Our job is to ask them about their plans, about what they are going to do, and what are they able to discover then. I might never have thought about that. I don't know. So let's take a look. Points one through four, first side of your first page. What is one regular personal habit that has contributed to your success? What does that question force you to do? Four things. First off, it forces you to define success. What does success mean to you? So that's point number one. How will I or how do I define success? Number two, do I, do I understand what it will take to achieve success? So maybe I have... Are you kidding? Oh, you have a pen. You just want me to write it because you think I know how to spell better than you. But we've already established that I don't know how to spell. All right. Point number one. How do I define success? Either that or we both got it wrong together. <laughs> Do I know? Do I have a plan? Do I have some understanding for what it would take to achieve it? Let's just stop right there before we go on. Can you see useful conversations arising between a young man and an old man even about understanding and defining success? And not necessarily negative ones. I, I don't want us to set up this arbitrary divide between what we'll call church world and what would be defined as success and other world which would define success differently. Let's face it, we all need to be successful in a variety of ways. I mean, I know we could talk about meaning and purpose and satisfaction in life and, and achieving things for the kingdom of heaven, but would we all agree that it's easier to do that if there's enough money in your wallet to buy gas for the day? Right? So, so some measure of financial success matters, and we can't avoid that. A plan for how to achieve that. 
which introduces its own set of sub-questions. Are certain people who appear to be successful merely luckier than the rest of us? Or have they done some things very specifically and intentionally over a period of time that has afforded them the ability to achieve success? That's a conversation by itself. All right, the third thing, and this is a little bit more complex, so do I have a daily or weekly ordered, purposeful, and active plan for achieving it? So that takes this out of the realm of theory. In other words, what am I actually doing, or what, do I do, do, what plan do I have for actually doing this on a regular basis? So this is the grand master plan. Right? We all have one of them. This is the more nitty-gritty, these are the things that I would therefore need to do every day. So I want to be, my definition of success is I want to have, let's say, $100,000 saved by the time I'm... 35. We'll just, I don't know, I've just picked some numbers out of the air. Okay, that's one of the plans that I have for success. How am I going to achieve it? Well, what would be the broad strokes of that? Are you actually asking that question? Well, sort of, just so that we can role play this. Okay. So, what would be the broad strokes of that? What kind of job? Okay, I'm going to, therefore, there's the first thing. I guess I'll have to do something that makes money. If I want to have $100,000 in the bank and I don't have any rich relatives that are likely to die soon, then I need to start to consider how I would actually... Well, it could happen, John. Don't roll your eyes at me. Come on. I just read a great story the other day. In other words, if they didn't die in time, he helped them. Okay, returning to the thought at hand. Yes, I would have to look at how I could have some income streams. What will be another part of that master plan, the broad brush pieces? I'd have to spend less of that than I made, right? Because if there was never any surplus, then I couldn't save. Now we bore down into the details. What would be the actual details that I'd use? Remember, I set a very specific thing up here. Age 35, hundred thousand dollars. There you go. I would I would take that right down into the intimate details of this. I would have, let's say, if I started work at 20, I'm going to have 15 years there. Over the course of 15 years, there's X number of weeks in that. How much would I have to set aside per week? And if I anticipated that my income level was going to increase over time, maybe perhaps I would project that I would save more five years from now than I was right now, but there'd be a plan for that. And then finally, refer to my notes, am I faithfully and regularly doing what's best for my success? Oh, I have to get back to writing. Faithfully introduces two components. Faithfully means I have some level of consistency, but is it reliable enough and regular enough that it matters? So if I'm faithfully saving money, but I'm only doing it one out of every four weeks, that might not be regular enough. All right, now that was a really simple example, but what are some of the other things that I'd want to be successful at and I could use the same plan? 
Now, what are the regular practices? This, is the, this comes back to the question, what are the things, the regular practices that you're putting in place in your everyday life that are contributing to your success? That question forces you to answer all these things. All right, so we've talked about the inflection point person. You may. What you introduced was the profound possibility that exists in male community. Okay? Because not all of us have our inflection point that puts us on a different pathway at the same time. So you grew up and you might have learned some of that at home, but you weren't given the opportunity to learn that because parents can't teach what they don't already know. They're struggling to make it. And perhaps, <clears throat> let's be honest, if you push that back a generation still, perhaps they didn't have that inflection point in their own life. Perhaps they didn't have that. Or perhaps something simply just went wrong. You know, we don't all walk the same path, and it's not only because of one person's stupidity and another person's brilliance. I mean, sometimes there are things that happen to one person that don't happen to another, and we have to take that into account. But if we live in community, then we can experience the benefits of the wisdom of everybody who is in that community. The sad fact of the matter is that I, you know, where I am today versus where I was even 10 years ago, I didn't grow up until I hit my late 30s. I was still a child. I was still thinking with a childlike mindset reacting, responding, you know, I had a little bit of emotional intelligence because of, you know, a teacher that I had learned some stuff from in college, but other than that, I was still responding and thinking like a child, even in my 30s. You all done with this? All right, we're going to... milestones through your life, 16, 13. All right, we're going to take this a little bit of out of order. Um, let's look at the next point, though. It will be on the back side of your first page. I'm just going to read it here. Personal discovery of capability often comes when the supports, like training wheels, are removed from a younger man's life. Capability cannot be revealed if it is not tested. The attempts which produce errors, which reveal the need for improvements, never take place. So in other words, your maturity is theoretical at best. The only way that you and I discover if we have what it takes, the only way that we discover if we are going to be responsible is if we are left to find out if, it has, if we have what it takes and we are left to become responsible. Hold on now. That's negligence, okay? That's ignoring your children. That's allowing them to learn stuff. We can't do that now. Okay. Our, our children are entitled, so we have to. Okay. 
All right. There is a certain amount of grumpy old man syndrome that has creeped into your conversation. All right. I just, I'm just telling you. Uh, it could be both at the same time. Now, are we done? All right. So here's the thing. This is the challenge. How is a parent going to encourage maturity in his kids? How's he going to encourage responsibility? How's he going to build the confidence of his kids that are relatively mature? We'll say the 16, the 17 year old, the 18 year old, the 19 year old that's still kicking around the house, the 20 year old. How's he going to do that? Example is one thing. But example minus this other component is irrelevant. What is it? You have to entrust them by allowing them the privilege of falling on their face. I mean, completely. You have to allow them to miss the payment on this. You might have to allow them to discover that when they sent the third notice about how they were going to come take the car if the payment wasn't made, that they weren't joking. That one day they would show up with the tow truck and they would take the car. Or not. Any of those things, I have to allow my uh, modestly adult children the privilege of discovering whether they do have what it takes. Now here's the thing. When a parent steps back, there is a capability that the young man can fall, right? He needs to be surrounded by an adult male community because the relationship between the adult male community and the young man is different than the relationship between the parent and and the young adult. How do you suppose that's different? This is really critical and this is why we need this. What's different about my commitment, let's say, to my son and your commitment to my son? Well, the parent commitment is when the kid falls, you know, my parents hate me. Whereas at the community event, the, the kid falls and the guys around her said, yeah, we all did that. Okay. Turn over to, if you have a page two, turn over to page two. You don't have a page, you do have a page two now. About midway down that page, there's a proverb here. Rescue those who are being taken away to death. Hold back those who are stumbling to the slaughter. If you say, Behold, we did not know this. Does not he who weighs the heart perceive it? Does not he who keeps watch over your soul know it? And will he not repay man according to his work? So what are the two things that a man is being, or a community of men are being advised to do relative to other adults? Yeah, look at what's being said. Rescue those who are being taken away to death. Hold back those who are stumbling to the slaughter. There's two specific types of instance that are being talked about here. Rescue and hold back. So in the one case, something has ensnared you and the adult community steps in and says, no, you're not taking him. In the other case, you've rushed headlong into a stupid behavior and the adult male community says, hold on. 
If you're going to rush into that, you need to know what you're rushing into. Don't be a fool. Now, the parent has to step back, remember? Because the only way that the young man discovers if he has what it takes is if the parent lets his hands off a little bit and lets the kid run free. But he needs the protection of an adult community because we distinguished on week one the difference between two types of failure. Does everybody, anybody remember what they were? Basically, you can divide all failure into two types. There's fatal and non-fatal. Right? We don't want to see our kids experience fatal failure because they don't live to learn from the lesson. And a fatal failure isn't always death failure. You can put yourself in a financial death spiral from which you almost never recover. You can put yourself in a relational death spiral from which the relationships never recover and things are never the same. So what we want to do as adult male community is help young men to experience failure in a way that just doesn't kill them. And therefore, this guideline is really good. Really good. Let's read it again. Rescue those who are being taken away to death. Okay, so what are some of the kinds of death that would be, not death, but they could be potentially negative? They would, let's say, rob the young man of the possibility to be successful. Illegitimate children. What? Illegitimate children. Oh, oh my word, yes. Yes. So, when the young man is, and, and remember what we said, all these drives, these are natural drives, right? It's not like the, the young guy is thinking, what am I going to do with this? And the older man is going to say, well, let me tell you one of the things you don't want to do with this, and here's why. What else? What are some of the other things that can just steal the potential success from a human being? Okay, so bad financial management. Huh? This is this is one of these weeks where we will not go political. Jason, you are responsible for reining in the Paul over there if he gets out of the box again. <laughs> Give me that again. Lack of. I'm going to just call it addictive vices. Well, it is, but I want to get broad strokes here, okay? There are certain kinds of things. So here, here's the first one. How many of you wish that you had had more good financial advice when you were in your early 20s? High school? Yeah. That would have been nice. Okay. Most of you received a kind of advice about sexuality there, but who did you receive it from? Right. You were, okay, parents and peers. So you received it from people whom you perceived in one way or another were either encouraging you to go off the deep end or who were trying to hold you back from having the fun that you should. You didn't receive it from other than parents who had your best interest at heart and could speak with credibility. Because there's a certain point, remember what we said, when you're this big, your parents know it all, 
By the time you get to be this big, they know a little bit. By the time they get to be this big, your parents know nothing. And then 10 years has to go by before your parents actually start to become wise again. So, given that phenomena, who do you need to speak wisdom into you during that time when you're this big and your parents know nothing? You need some other people in your life that are going to speak that because after all, your parents have no credibility at that point in your life or less credibility. I'm not saying they have no credibility and it's not like the messages that they planted in your head didn't stick, but you need another outside source. Okay, are there any other things that we want to preserve our kids from? Our young adults from? Okay, so... Yeah, how do, how do we word that? Uh, criminal activity? bundle them into one and say that we want to prevent them from being foolish. Remember how we have defined foolish. What is a foolish person? Huh? The foolish person is the person who is wise in his own eyes. In other words, he knows enough. He doesn't need any more information. And so we want to help our kids to not be foolish. All right. So one more time, rescue those who are being taken away to death, hold back those who are stumbling to the slaughter. So John said that one of the ways that a person can be taken to a potential kind of death is by out-of-control sexuality that leads to producing kids, that leads to the payment of child support, that leads to the impingement on your financial freedom later in life. Do you see how many steps were involved in that? Who Who would have guessed? Who would have guessed? that one night of fun could ruin the rest of your financial life. Mr. Henderson has already done it. Mr. Henderson is just an abstract third party who has experienced that in the past. Yes, there's Mr. Henderson. Okay. But does that seem like a logical... Yeah, one night of fun is going to ruin the rest of my life. Yes, it will. It can But do you know that when you're 19? Do you actually believe that when you're 19? No. Nobody's going to tell me. Or somebody else's life. Several people's lives. Unless that 19-year-old's been around a couple of somebodies who have done the same thing. All right. Sorry, i got to stand and take care of kids. Isn't part of it that we take the opportunities that we are given to share what we've been through? Like I, I have two kids that were born out of wedlock. They were also, my daughter was part of an affair I was having because I wasn't divorced from my wife even though we were separated. If I'm not, if I'm not doing the uh, regular, you, know, you have it as, am I doing faithful, faithfully and regularly what is best for my success? Sober recovery, we call it inventorying. If I'm not inventorying my life, the good and the bad, I don't have the tools that I need in order to invest in somebody else's life. If I think I got my crap together and hey, what I did was just mistakes, then I've missed the opportunity that God has given me in acknowledging the sin so that I'm equipped to then walk through the ruts with people who are going through similar situations. I can't point out those things. The rest of those who are being taken away from death and those who are stumbling towards slaughter, if I don't recognize that that's where they're going, I'm of no help to that person. 
I might be the guy who's encouraging them to continue down that road. Oh, you're young, just go ahead and have sex, use a condom. Oh, and I miss the opportunity to share with them the, the heart that God has for a healthy marriage, the heart that God has for a husband, for a wife, and a commitment. And I just, I had my kids out of wedlock, but it didn't define the choices I made from then on. I have a great family now. We are, uh, to the best of our ability, financially secure. The, the repercussions, I don't know about, because I've had other men who have stepped in and said, hey, I've been where you are. I know where this road is going. Would you at least let me share with you? All right. I want to talk about another benefit here of multi-generational community. That sounds like a far better term than old men and young men, right? No one wants to be the old man and when you're young, you really don't want to be the young man because it seems like you should be more mature somehow. So we'll just call it multi-generational adult community. You know what, buddy? I'm old, and I don't want to be old. So I want to be part of the multi-generational. How's that? You want to work with me today or not? All right, so let's just imagine this is a human being's timeline. This is birth... This is death. Now, when you were, say, along about here, what do you have to look back on? Not a whole lot. Not a whole lot. And your possibilities go on forever, do they not? As you move further on, you've got more to look back on, less to look ahead on. Does the word regret mean anything to you? Now, I want you to think about this. When you're here, how much regret could you possibly have to look back on? Now, when you're here, you're starting to be able to see more potential. There's more years in which regret could accumulate. And as you get to here, there's a lot of years where you can look back and you can either look back with satisfaction on what you have done or regret on what you haven't done. In multi-generational community, those who are here can start to describe the situations that they've experienced and what they're looking at that this person cannot see. I want to look at a few words here. Let me see where they are so that you can... Here we go. It would be the back of your first page, I think. Down at the bottom. Fun, happiness, satisfaction, purpose-oriented accomplishment. What's fun? Something that brings joy. Something in the moment. How long? How long does fun last? It lasts a moment. And therefore, if I'm going to choose to live my life for fun, how much effort is it going to take to do that? It's going to take a consistent, repetitive, perpetual effort in order to encounter new fun experiences. Because what do we know about fun? Fun is kind of like any other drug. What do we know about it? Over a period of time, the same amount of it that brought you funness in the moment isn't enough anymore and you need more of it. Now, 
how many 18-year-olds do you know that are living for a life of significance and purpose and have a plan for the rest, the next 50 years of their lives? I mean, just, just I, this is not negative. How, why would they? This is where they are. How many of them have a deep understanding of what it would mean to waste your life? None of them, because they're still here, and they will have nothing much to look back on. Not only that, their entire time from here to here has been transformation and change. The years between, let's say, six, when you start to remember your life, and 18 or 20, is a perpetual whirlwind of change. Do you feel that your life is changing as much when you're here? You learning at the same rapid pace? Are you are you experiencing new things, or has your life sort of found a rhythm and a routine? Let's just be honest. My life has a pretty formed routine about it. I wake up every morning. I do the same things. Hopefully, some of them contribute to my definition of success. Hopefully. And then I go through most of the same routines and rhythms throughout the day. My life is not swirling with activities. It's likely that a young person is going to be more prone to live for fun. Fun is new experiences. Fun is new things. Now, I get to maturity, and it's more probable I have a choice. Am I going to live to make myself happy? Am I going to live to make myself content or am I going to live to fulfill some significant purpose? Well, sure, we find the balance. But when you get to be, I guess I'd like to have a, a poll of all the people who are 60 years or older in the room. When you get to be 60 so that more of your life is behind you than in front of you, what do you want your life to have been about? But you don't know that when you're 20. Or you're less likely to understand that. So my propensity is probably going to be to live for the moment. Or to live for the year. Not to live for the lifetime. The benefit of living in multi-generational community is that older men can help younger men to start to fashion a definition of success that starts to look like what it will look like to live for the lifetime rather than the next moment. And explain that today's happiness is extremely fleeting. But the satisfaction, don't we all want the God in the garden moment, it was good, it is good, it is good, it is good. You don't get the is good by chasing the next moment of happiness. What you, you get the this is good by diligently, consistently performing in a way that produces the good results that you want. And yet in the moment, that's often not fun. This is what young men need to understand and hear from older men. It is good. It is worth it. But in the moment, it's not going to feel fun. Have you ever talked to a young guy who didn't like his job and wanted to quit? Sure. Never happened. <laughs> I'm averting eye contact right now. I don't <laughs> quit a job, quit school, quit whatever. Yeah. Why? They're unhappy and it's difficult in the moment. What do they discover when they go to the next one? 
and the next one? The, what's the lesson to be learned there? Where you are is what you make of it. Yeah, that's one of the lessons. And how would they learn that? They would learn that from hearing that from other people who have perhaps walked out of jobs. They would learn that from other people who have found that no matter where I go, there I am. And they'd learn that from people who had experienced this in the past and therefore... One of, the, one of the pieces of advice that I learned by the time I was about 28 or 29 is any new thing you're doing, don't give up on it after the first or the second day because you're really bad at it the first and the second day and the first and the second week and maybe even the first and the second year. Just don't give up on it. Never make an emotional decision to quit something in the moment because you don't think you're getting it. Give it a little bit of time. Because a week later, a month later, after you've worked through the process, you might discover that it's not as bad as you thought and you do end up achieving success. And at that but, point you like it more. And at that point you like it more. But I'm telling you what, I was ready to walk out of a few things early on. I can remember, and, and this is sort of a, a, a lame example, but I'll just humor myself with it since I'll probably be the only one amused by it. But. I can remember a number of years ago and somehow we backed our way into sandblasting some swimming pools. I know that's a little bit of a left field term, but, but I can remember the first one we did and we were horribly under equipped. A couple of us went out there to do it. The equipment wasn't up to par, had no idea what we were doing. I was young and full of everything like bluff and courage and stupidity and yeah we can do this and we'll make it work and we did do it and we made it work and I thought to myself well there was some pretty decent money in that and then I got a few more opportunities and then one day one day we found what I'll call the pull from hell and it turned out that everything that worked on all the other pulls to get the old paint off just didn't work well, what I had encountered was a different type of paint on a pull that I had never seen before and I remember thinking to myself that day after we had much more experience and much better equipment and, and much more understanding of the process, I remember thinking to myself, if this had been the first pool that I had ever encountered doing sandblasting, I would have quit that day and never, ever, ever gone back to it. Oh, that's right. You do know my history. No, it wasn't your pool. Your pool was always easy. Oh, your pool, your pool was always pretty easy. <laughs> You were, you were tough, but the pull was easy. <laughs> There's a lot of things that we gain from years of experience that we want to have somebody to share it with. Have you, here, here, just for the older guys, if you're 40 or older in the room, have you ever discovered something the hard way? Well, if you're 39, it, it, it's okay. How old are you anyway? 38 yesterday. Oh, I, well, okay. Fine. If you're, if you're 29 or, or older and you're in the room, have you ever learned something and just thought to yourself, boy, I wish I had somebody to share this with so I could save them something? Never have. No? That's sarcasm. Yeah, there's been a few of those Yeah, and, and you just, I mean, it's like life or God or other people have given you the gift of a hard experience and from that hard experience you have learned some important thing that and you just wish you had somebody to share it with did it take you till 29 to learn that experience okay 
And you had no one that was four years old that you could share that with at the time? I'm sure my parents Okay, immediately above the list there of uh, fun, happiness, satisfaction. Let's take a look at this verse. To Titus, my true child in a common faith. And actually, if you read it out of the NIV, it says, to, to Titus, my true son. Which is more dignified. He's not really referring to Titus as a child. He's referring to him as someone whom he has a spiritual connection with and whom he has been in some ways responsible for developing into a spiritual man. To my son, in a common faith, grace and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Savior. And then we move over into the second chapter where he's telling him what, how to go about doing what he needs to do where he's been left on Crete. And he says, show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works. So that's it. And that's what you're talking about, Vinny, that you need to have some credible platform that compels people to want to consider you as a source for information. So we're not just talking about the, the young man is not going to go to you because you've had a lot of experiences that could qualify you to speak about what not to do. He wants to come to you because you've had some experiences that indicate to him that you've already learned what not to do, but you've found a key to success that has allowed you to turn your life and therefore you've discovered some things that you can do and you're now living in a different way. So nobody comes to us because we're experts at failure. They come to us because we have learned some things about how to live effectively. They need to see that. So that's what he's saying. Show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works. Why? Because nobody's really going to listen to you credibly. They're not going to consider you to be a valuable source of influence in their lives if they don't see something that they admire and like in, in you. And then he says, in your teaching show integrity, dignity, and sound speech that cannot be condemned. Alright, so that's a mouthful there. What, what are those three things that we'd say are noble points of teaching that Paul's encouraging Titus to integrate into his, his speech with these people? Teaching with integrity, what does that look like? And don't be superficial about this. Think deeply about what he would be suggesting. Remember, these men are separated geographically. The words on this page are all that Paul has to communicate with Titus about how Titus is going to firm up and establish these churches on the island of Crete. Words are all he has. So every one of these words matters. It's not like we're, we're kind of, when we're face to face and we talk, we can be a little casual and even sloppy in our speech. Because we know we've got more words we can throw at it. If, I, if you didn't understand me the first time, I can repeat it. I can throw some more words at it. He's hand-selected some words to describe how this teaching needs to take place. So what does the word integrity have to do with teaching? Okay. So we'd say that is consistency. That if my life looks different than what my teaching is, Not sure if that's an E or an A. What else? What else is, does integrity entail? Let's think about what the word integrity really means. What does it mean? That's that's an outworking of integrity, but it's not. It doesn't really capture the heart of integrity. What is integrity? It is wholeness. 
It means that all of you is aligned the same way. It means that part of you isn't thinking one way while part of you thinks another. But it also means wholeness of life. So if all of my teaching focuses on one, then this is why we call this life school. I want you to be thinking about your day-to-day life and the spiritual connection to it. Not just doing a Bible study where we're abstractly studying the Scriptures, even abstractly studying a spiritual life apart from real life. So integrity of teaching is going to embrace all the aspects of a human being's life. It's not just going to talk about what you do on Sunday or how you pray or how you interact with believers. It's going to have information that, inf- that can help a person to manage their finances. That would be part of teaching with integrity. It's going to have... Do you suppose that all those people had difficult relationships in their life? Yes. It's going to help them to manage the difficult relationships and the easy relationships in their life. Okay, you get the idea. What's teaching with dignity? Let's, let's build on what he said in this way. It's respect for the material, but it's also respect for the audience. It's respect for the person who knows a little bit less. Have you ever felt demeaned or condescended to by someone who was teaching you something? And it's not that what they were teaching you wasn't important. It's just that the way that they were teaching it made you want to reach up and do bodily harm to them. I'm, I'm, I'm just saying. <laughs> on a few occasions. Now... What does that do to the value of the material? There you were. You were a potential student with a vital piece of useful life information this close to you and the disrespect that the teacher had for who you were prevented you from receiving that. So he's saying, don't do that. Anything else that we want to say when it comes to that? Dignity. Okay, you've brought value to the material because you've experienced firsthand it's benefiting your own life. So you've elevated the value of this thing. This really is something important. You've helped the other person also to understand why they might consider it to be something that they should integrate into their own life. Alright, sound speech. Well, what does that mean? Not speaking like a five-year-old is too wordy. Um, that would be too many words to spell. Okay. Um, yeah, we'll go for that. You're really in love with that phrase. Yeah. Keep the salty language out of it. Well, we're getting a lot of things there. Okay, sound speech. What is sound speech going to look like to you? It's going to be founded on something outside of me. Okay, so there there will be it's going to be founded on something outside of you. It's 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 going to be relatable to the audience. Clear meaning. Clear meaning. Okay, so you're looking at just 
speaker? Because you just mentioned the speaker a little while ago, like a teacher or something, like a father, uh, an external person, third party. I didn't know if you were referring to the receiving of the information from the speaker is uh, going to influence what you're talking about. Uh, was that a question or a statement? Uh, that's a question. <coughs> okay, so repeat the question so that... Receiving the information from the teachers, the instructor, you know, is that going to influence what you're asking? <sighs> because uh, are we just focusing on the words that he's sending? Well, yeah, I think at this moment we're looking at what is what what is being projected from the speaker, the teacher, how how... What makes that sound speech? So I think we have to. I need to under. Go ahead. Go ahead. Okay. There you go. Accurate. Peace. Peaceable. P e a c. E-A-B-A or just A-B-L-A? Yeah, well, we'll put question mark under there. There we go. Now, that was actually an important one there. Why does that matter? Peaceable. Yeah, you can. Go ahead. All right, you're going to start over again. You're going to read them one point at a time. Okay, wait, wait. What is pure? When it comes to, now we've already looked at a person who's speaking with a level of integrity. What is pure speech going to look like? Without what? Yes, that was a great definition. <laughs> Way to go, John. You, you got a B on that one. Without error. No mixed motives. In other words, I have not inserted... Have you ever heard a presentation and you felt kind of sure that the person who was trying to convince you of certain things had something to gain from your being convinced of those certain things? <laughs> Pure speech is speech that has no mixed biased motive that is working against the other person. I'm not saying this for my own gain. I'm saying this because I have a heart for you. What's next? Then he's lying. Is that right after pure? Yeah. All right. This is going to dig a little deeper. What is peace-loving speech when it comes to... Remember we're talking about Titus. He's going to try to be influencing these people. What is peace-loving going to do? You just said it two seconds ago. No, the uh, peace-loving is the speaker's care or about 
speech with you know the, the person that's telling you is honestly concerned about you know hey look I've already done that and you might want to take a few adjustments here okay but approachable have you ever had a disagreement with someone and it could have been diffused easily but you kind of were in the mood for a fight does everybody understand what I just said have you ever been in the mood for an argument and so you almost refused to see the other person's point of view just because you were itching for a fight you've never been there you've never been a lot of places in your life Peace-loving speech is not going to needlessly stir up the ire of the people it is talking to without reason. There are times when, yes, there may need to be conflict, but I'm not intentionally going to offend you in order to communicate truth. What's next? All right. Considerate of your audience. Okay. In what way? Where they're from. Where they're from. Okay. So sensitive to the audience, to their background, to where they might be wounded, to how they might be offended. Considerate. Okay. Can they understand me? All right. Is there a next one? It's interesting. Uh, some of the translations say uh, willing to, uh, willingness to yield or something like that. Uh, full of mercy and imprint. So you did not want to unpack submissive? <laughs> yeah, we can, we can pass that Because, yeah, that, that is a hard one. Who wants to be submissive? Right, right. Leave that one out. Isn't that in part? That's, that's one. That's going to be important part. Because how do you submit to something you don't agree with? If you're trying to help them, how do you submit to that? Read it again from the beginning because I'm not. Go ahead. Go ahead. Okay, we got it. I think we're going to. Paul, this is going to surprise you, but I think I'm actually going to agree with you for once. Uh, let's sum it up like this. Have you ever had to communicate something to somebody else that you didn't even want to live under yourself? Have you ever struggled with something that you didn't want to live under in your own life? Has God ever asked you to do something in your own life and you're not sure you want to do it and you're asking other people to do it as well? And one of the things that you have to do is say, this isn't easy for me, or I'm not experiencing victory in this myself every day, or I know this is difficult, I know it's difficult for you to hear because it was difficult for me to hear and it still is difficult for me to hear, but together we can do this. And so that is, I think Paul captured it excellently, submissive to the authority of God. That is, that is, in terms of masculinity, that is being willing to be accountable to God in an area where he has authority over me. What that means is, yeah, you, you die to your feelings, regardless of how I feel. This is what I know is true, right, and good. Yeah.
And so in that case, the leader has to say, the, uh, the older generation might have to say, listen, this is no easier for me today than it was for me 20 years ago. This is still as much a struggle. Let's say when it comes to, Vinny brought up the idea of, of uh, sexual purity a while ago, or sexual, I forget how he described what the, the terminology was, right? It, it's, it's being able to look a young guy in the face and say, this is no easier today than it was 20 years ago. I may not like it any more today than I liked it 20 years ago, but it's the right thing to do and I'm committed to doing it. It doesn't make it easy. It doesn't mean that I'm never tempted in any other way. It just means that I've made a commitment to do it this way. What's after submissive? Mercy and I'm just going to put fruit. All right, what's a teacher look like? What does a communicator look like? An elder. Let's call it an elder. That's a phrase we don't use a lot, but let's call it an elder. What does an elder look like who is communicating with a younger generation and doing it out of mercy? If you back up in James 2, mercy triumphs over judgment. Talk about how much more powerful is that mercy if you just judge them and kill them. And that lines up with all this. Okay. Is there more? Okay, okay. Now, move on to the next thing. Did everybody hear that? Impartial and sincere is the next thing. Anybody want to comment on that? I think those are two separate things, actually. What's that self-serving? It's not self-serving. There you go. That's an excellent way to look at it. What was impartial and sincere? Okay. It does, doesn't it? Yeah, excellent. Okay, is there any more on the list? Peacemakers who... I hope you haven't put that away because you're going to read it one more time. Peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. Is that right? Alright. Think about the number of potential conflicts that exist between one generation and the next, even in your own home. The ability, the willingness to try to maintain accord, agreement, fellowship in the process of leading and teaching is difficult. And what that verse is actually kind of implying is, is if you break the fellowship, you lose the chance for the righteous development to take place. So whatever you do, if the younger person shuts down the conversation, every brilliant thing you have to say after that moment is disregarded. So unless I'm willing to keep the line of dialogue open, unless I'm willing to try, try to maintain accord, agreement, harmony, then everything is shut down. I know what my tendency is. My tendency is just to talk over people when I'm pretty sure I'm right. I mean, after all, if I'm right, why wouldn't I? Right? If I'm right and I know you're wrong, why wouldn't I just talk louder? Talk more forcefully? Don't look at me like you're confused, like you've never done this in your life. I was thinking of what you've done to me. Oh! 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 All right. 
Let me see if there's anything that I've left out. I think there's one thing that I've kind of kept. Yes, let's do this one. Chords of connection. This has been on your notes like three or four times already, I think, and we've never gotten around to it. So this is the role, this, this is the process that has to occur, and we talked about this when we were talking about the transfer, so that a, a young man leaves his home and leaves the authority of his parents, but he needs to enter into some sort of community that's going to help to guide him. But here are the chords that need to remain. The chords that are first off to be connect, disconnected are responsibility. The parent needs to say at some point in time, I am not responsible for you anymore. Do you remember the story I told you last week about the, the, the fellow who... No, you don't remember because you weren't here last week. Okay. The young fellow who went away to college and his dad helped pay for his college and then he came back at the end of college and his dad handed him the check and the kid opened the envelope and it was a big check and then the dad said, and this is the last finances you're ever getting from me in your life. The next time you come home, you can come home for a good dinner, you can come home for some wisdom, but that's it. That's all you're going to get from me. There has to be a definite decision on the part of every father to cut that cord where he is no longer responsible. In Hebrew culture, it was said that at around the age of 12 or 13, there was a transfer of accountability that up until that time that the, the parents were responsible for the spiritual decisions of the child. In other words, the parents would answer to God for the child's behavior. But at a certain point in time, the child had to answer because the child was no longer a child. They were considered an adult in the eyes of God, in the eyes of man, and therefore from that moment on, that child was responsible to God directly for his behavior. But what happened at that same time when the parent was no longer responsible, that child became part of adult human community, especially adult male community, and that adult male community surrounded the child and helped the child to maintain legitimate accountability to God and, and make the right choices. So you don't cut people loose, you just transfer who they're responsible to. So the court of responsibility is cut. The court of accountability is cut. When your son reaches a certain age, they don't owe you an answer anymore for certain things. They don't have to give an account to you anymore for certain things. That's really tough. It's tough for you as a father because for years you've expected them to be accountable to you for certain things. You're going to have to learn to turn off a switch. Can you tell that to my wife? <laughs> that's that's a... <laughs> yeah, and I won't be here to teach that. <laughs> Paul, I have some impure motives here. How much, how much is it worth to me to be able to tell your wife that? Did anybody have anything to say before I moved on? No? Okay. Um, the young man has to be free to make his own decisions. That means you're going to also cut off that second guessing. Well, I would have done it this way, or I would have done it that way. Well, maybe you would, but he's not you and you're not him, and therefore he's probably going to do it a different way, and you've got to let him go to do that. That's another one of those cords that's got to get cut. Here's the final one. You are no longer the backstop for his failure. All right? Come back to the story. Can you imagine the young man? He's gotten the check. He's done some things. Maybe he's done some dumb things. Now he's out of money or he's out of whatever. And he comes home to dad and says, I've got myself in a jam and I can't. 
You know when you give your kids the least good service? When you leave open a crack of a door where they think they can come back to you and get bailed out for their decisions. It is better, it is kinder, it is truer, it is gentler to say to a human being when they get to a certain age, I can no longer be your answer to failure in your life. You're going to have to live with your own failures from that moment on. Because what are you doing if you don't make that clear? Enabling. You're enabling? You're ensuring that they're not going to try their best not to fail. You're ensuring that they might take rash risks and if they do fail, then they know they've got some plan B to come back to. It is kinder and fairer to an adult to just say, from this moment on, you are responsible both for your successes and for your failures. I can't take credit for your successes, but I refuse to take responsibility for your failures. But now, if all of that is cut, what does that feel like? Well, it feels like independence. It feels giddy and exhilarating and, and great until. And you can fill in the blank with what comes after until. But now, what has to replace that? Friendship or the fellowship of men. There's a gradual transfer that takes place where you become the friend to your adult son. Where you are no longer dad in that same sense, but you become an elder in his community of elder men. The love of family, the wisdom of a mentor. Now, now you can offer some of the conversations. I'm sure John has conversations with his adult sons about things at a level that he couldn't have had 20 years ago. It's altogether different now. His sons live their own lives, do their own things, are responsible for themselves. I have a feeling that if they mess up, they don't come back to John and say, Wow, I made a mess of this. Can you loan me 10 grand? And they probably know that it wouldn't be forthcoming. I don't know. I mean, and I'm, we're not saying that you should never ever help an adult child. That's not it. All right. And you're turning them over to. The care and the keeping and the protection of male community. We look out for each other. So every. Every adult male understands this, that there are times when things outside his control are going to go wrong. Wife gets sick, children get hurt, something takes a bad turn in life. We all need help at times in our life. But that's not the kind of help that dad gives a son because the son is immature and irresponsible. That's the kind of help that friends give to friends when friends are down. And so, Think about the cords of connection that you have established with your children, which ones you need to start thinning out, separating, and which ones you need to start building strength into. Some need to eventually be cut. Some right now at this stage in your life might need to start to be established so that they are strong when the kids leave home. All right, I think we are, wow, it's 9 o'clock.